This week, we're talking about quality versus quantity with Alex Noriega and Aaron Bobnick, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. This is Nick Page, and as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I'm really excited about this week's episode because I have two of my favorite photographers on the show, Alex Noriega and Aaron Bobnick. If you're not already familiar with their work, you need to go follow them right now because they are two of the probably the most inspiring photographers that I can think of right now. Aaron Bobnick teaches workshops around the world. Alex Noriega won the Landscape Photographer of the Year Award as well as sells lots of tutorials and they are both highly respected in the landscape photography community. Before we jump into this week's episode though, I do want to let you know that I have some workshops coming available very, very soon. And if you want to be on the early notification list, go over to my website, nickpagephotography.com, sign up for the email list. Those people are notified every time I release a a new tutorial or a new workshop and a lot of times the workshops are selling out before it's ever launched to the rest of the public so if you're interested in going on some of the cool trips that I have planned next year you're gonna want to be signed up for that email list also if you have never given a review of the show on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to this on I would highly highly appreciate going and giving a review an honest review but hopefully a positive review because it helps us reach new listeners and we haven't really got any reviews in a while and I I know that there are lots of you guys. I look at the statistics and I'm always impressed with how the show continues to grow. Even when I'm not getting episodes out terribly often, the show continues to grow. And for that, I thank you guys. Thank you guys for being patient. I try really hard to make every episode a worthwhile episode, not just something that is something to put out. I'm only going to put out episodes if I have something interesting to say, and I'm excited about this week's episode. So thank you guys for your patience. Let's jump into this week's episode where I talk with Aaron Bobnick and Alex Noriega about quality versus quantity. Quantity versus quality. I feel like this is a very relevant topic in today's social media driven age that we're in. And I can't think of two people that embody the quality over quantity than you guys. So thank you for coming on, Aaron and Alex. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here again, Nick. So let, let's kind of uh, just jump into what you guys have been up to lately. For those of you that haven't been keeping up with you guys as much. Alex, what have you been up to lately? Well, the last month, I want to say I have been procrastinating and that's nice. usually my mode of operation. Um, <laughs> I, I just got back from six weeks of travel. So I have a lot of images I should be working on and that's what I'm procrastinating. Nice. The processing of them. I'm just kind of letting them simmer. Cool. Um, so before that, I was in Utah and Colorado for spring. Very cool. And have you released any like uh, tutorials or anything lately? Uh, yeah, just before I left in April, a new one that covers three different images. So that one is doing really well. People seem to like it. And how about you, Aaron? What have you been up to lately? Oh boy, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> been running around doing a lot of talks. Been a month and a half, I think, since I did any workshops, but I was on a tear with those for a while. And I've been doing a lot of writing and 
and getting into printing at home. That was a whole black hole for my time. <laughs> yeah. So I've been, uh, I've had my fingers in a lot of pies lately. And you're currently jet lagged because you just flew over an ocean. And there's that. <laughs> right. So you guys, yeah. you guys keep busy. One of the interesting things is that you guys are constantly out shooting yet it is a very special event when either one of you releases an image. You know, you guys do not release tons and tons of images, which is why they are always so amazing when you finally do. So, Alex, how many how many images did you release like in 2017? Uh, I think 30. Wow. That's not very many. That's like how many how many weeks are there? That's yeah, I guess it's uh, it's less than one a week. Yeah. A couple per month. It's all relative, though. I mean. To some people, to me, that feels like a lot because before last year, before I started doing gallery releases, it was even less than that. Right. And it's but not I know people that are posting something new every day. Right. So. And it's not because you're not out shooting a lot either because you, you get out and shoot fairly often. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of changed my shooting such that I go out for like an entire month to an area now rather than mm-hmm. just going out on the weekend for two days. I like to have more time to get to know a place so yeah and to give yourself a better opportunity to catch some special light so aaron how many how many did you release in 2017 10 <laughs> wow yeah so <laughs> less than once once a month and and that's why like when you release an image like the angels start to sing and it's like this big unveiling <laughs> it's this unveiling of this amazing image because you know it doesn't happen all that often and Aaron you're shooting well at the very least you're out teaching workshops and stuff I don't know if you're shooting all the time but you're out there a lot yeah I think that's an important point I actually am extremely productive I do a ton of shooting I have just an immense amount of um, my archives are huge Um, and and I process a lot actually do that a lot and I think that's important that's an important part of the creative process for me is to be really productive I just don't put them all out there. That's all. So have each one of you always been this critical? Like, have you always been this hard, hard to impress with your own photography? Like, Alex, let's start with you. Have you always been this super hypercritical over your photography? I think uh, if you go back far enough, you'd find that I was releasing, uh, you know, Photomatix HDR snapshots of of like uh brick smokestacks that i was finding in minneapolis like just garbage that i would never shoot no no offense if you like shooting that sort of stuff smokestacks in particular i just remember this really bad image i had of them but yeah i was i was putting everything out there at the start i think very confident i I guess everyone goes through that phase Mm -hmm. when we start out it's not if you're happy with it then why not right i mean i was happy with it at the time i think i just have gotten more critical of my own work it's like one of those lessons that all photographers kind of have to learn at some point like in the very beginning you get your first camera and you upload every single frame up to Flickr or whatever you know like they're all amazing <laughs> and because you haven't developed yeah. that critical eye and as dsc fifty two fifty seven, yeah, exactly just, <laughs> like, just upload everything with the default name yeah exactly <laughs> That uh, shot 3032 really holds a special place in my heart. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just one of those things that slowly, slowly evolves as we get that out of our system. We all get a whole lot more critical. A couple years down the road, it's hard for you to even pull your camera out of the bag unless something interesting and amazing is happening. So 
the question becomes, what is the thought process behind being so critical about your guys's work? Like Aaron, let's start with you on that. Like, why are you so critical about what you release? I think that's how I get a lock on where I'm at creatively. For me, it's it's about what I'm contributing to my portfolio, what each image says says about me to me that I'm working through. And um and and that's what I'm developing. You know, that's how I'm getting to know me is by making those decisions. Alex, why are you so critical about your own photography? I just want to like what I'm putting out and I, I find it I can't help it, but I I find even the smallest stuff will make me just hate an image. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's just usually that I know I could have done better on that point. Like if it's something compositionally, especially something you can't fix in post, then I feel like it's broken from the start, you know, and I don't want to try to force it if it's not working. I guess it's just if I think of anyone coming to my website or looking at my portfolio and looking at an image that I hate something about, I'd rather they be looking at something I like more. I feel like it's one of those skills that we develop that never really stops developing is that critical eye and yeah. the, the, the perfectionism. <laughs> if, you, if you're one of the people out there that suffer from being a perfectionist, it only gets worse when you, be, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And I look at my photos and uh, I always have to be like, Nick, you just kind of have to get over that a little bit. In my own photography, uh, I am definitely not the poster child for quality over quantity because I post a whole lot. That's why it's really interesting to talk to you guys because... You know, your, your guys's work is probably the next tier up in my opinion. And it's because you're so critical over those little things. Like if you're doing a shot where depth of field is super important and there's a little bit of softness in a corner, I can picture Alex Noriega hitting the delete button, but then I'm like, well, nobody's going to notice it on Instagram. So, you know, I let it slide sometimes. I would say it's more about the content for me. You know, if I just often I'll shoot something and I'll know right then that it's not going to work. I'll still continue shooting it because I've already put in some effort on it. And I just kind of like the process. It's challenging because with, with social media, you know, I feel like it's changed the way a lot of us uh, approach the way we shoot or the approach the way that we think of releasing an image because, you know, social media has kind of turned into this beast that you must feed at all costs, you know, so we, we can stay relevant. And that's why my questions that I have for both of you, Aaron, how do you stay relevant? How do you not have all of your followers forget about you when you're only posting once a month? Yeah, well, for me, uh, I just try to be, I am really active in other areas. So it's not all about social media for me. And I wouldn't want it to be. For me, social media is a place to be social. That truly is what I really get out of it. I'm one of those people who likes to engage, um, but I don't want to just have to pump things out just because I'm, I'm, I feel like, you know, I don't want to feel like a hamster on a wheel all the time. So um, I'm doing things that are meaningful to me that are sort of peripheral activities that are also creative, like writing, Mm -hmm. public speaking, collaborating with people, you know, agreeing to do podcast interviews and that sort of thing. All of that helps. Doing your newsletter, things that you can do on your own website. All of these things are ways for people to stay connected with you. So I'm always trying to diversify in that regard. And and I think it also helps that the images um, that I do put out because I'm careful about it, I guess, um, they do pretty well for me. So even though I don't have a lot of um, uh, activity on, like, for example, Instagram, when I put a photo out there, it'll do pretty well. It'll do the job of what maybe, you know, if I were to toss out three or 10 
you know, sort of okay photos might do, one really good one can do just as well. And that totally makes sense. How, how about you, Alex? How do you stay in the eye or in the minds of the people that follow you? Well, I don't do as good of a job as I could, I'm sure, if I was posting more. I get warnings from Facebook and Instagram, like, you haven't posted in 63 days. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I haven't processed the images yet that I currently have in the queue. But I agree with Aaron's point that one image can go a long way if it's really good. And that's subjective. I'm not saying my images are, you know, that good. But if it's up to my standards and I really like it, then I've found often those images uh, other people like too, and they will go farther in terms of you know sticking in people's minds or selling a print or contest or whatever there is to be gained from a single image beyond actually making it maybe even bringing in business like someone sees one image and they're like okay i want to learn from that guy because i saw yep. that one I, I don't think you need that many but at the same time i should say that people like art wolf for example like he puts out so many images he's so prolific and they're all great so yeah. it's not it's not like you can't have both i can't have both i don't think i create that many great images so that's why i don't release that many yeah i was gonna point out that you know there's definitely people that uh, don't fit this particular mold uh, art wolf is one person uh, michael shane bloom another you know people that are just out and creating images non-stop they have the portfolios to be prolific you know they have the portfolios mm -hmm. to post every day and still keep that quality level at a really high level and that that's kind of what makes people like them so special is they just have so much to draw back on. You know, people like Michael Shane Bloom, one of the interesting things that he'll do, he will repost the same image a few times. Like he kind of goes, puts them all through a cycle and he figures that, you know, six months down the road, he probably has completely different people looking and, and interacting with his stuff. So they might not have seen that, that photo that he posted a year ago. So he'll go ahead and reshare those things. There's definitely not like a, a right way, but I think that there's an important lesson to be learned from really focusing on quality over quantity. And the only time you can break that rule is that if you have just so much quality, you know, you have a portfolio completely full of quality, then you can kind of up the quantity a little bit. One of the things that I'm curious of is, Aaron, when you are taking a photo, do you know at time of capture that this is going to be one that makes it, the one that makes the cut just because the conditions are special or it's speaking to you? Or do you have to go through the culling and editing process before you know for sure? Uh, well, it varies, but I would say anymore, I, I usually have a pretty good sense for um, whether or not I've got something that I'm going to feel really strongly about. Usually, if I feel that way about it in the field, that one will ultimately make its way into my portfolio. But there are definitely times when I'm just experimenting with an idea that ends up surprising me or mm -hmm. conversely, when an experiment turns out to be just an idea that, you know, I realize probably requires better realization. <laughs> so uh, it's definitely not, um, you know, something where I always know in the field. How about you, Alex? Oh, I definitely don't always recognize uh, some of my best images until way later. I think I have a pretty long curation process right now. I'm still thinking about images that I shot in April and May, and I kind of know which ones I'm going to release already, but I'm still thinking about them, still letting them marinate. 
there are guys that do this to the extreme like david mm. thompson he'll he'll put out a gallery of stuff from three years ago like i can't wait that long <laughs> i can't that, even wait it. like three days <laughs> <You know>? yeah <laughs> i want to show the images to people but i just want to make sure that i've picked the right ones and done them in a way that i won't regret later in terms of processing mm-hmm. or whatever decisions i make now on the image um, i find that if i rush it then i'll definitely want to change something like immediately after i post it so yeah i really want to wait until i don't think it needs anything more anything different i think that's one of the shortcomings in my own process is that i don't let stuff marinate enough because i'm lucky enough to get to shoot quite a bit and because of that my mind is already on to the next thing before i even have a chance to process some of the old stuff for that reason like if i don't process it then i might not ever process it because I have that typical creative person problem where like anything I shot a while ago, it's all crap. You know, like I'm, I'm already on to the next thing in my mind. And so a lot of times I process stuff in kind of a quick way just so I can be done with it. I know that's a bad way of working, but I'm guilty well, of that. I don't know if it's a bad way. I, I sort of do the same thing. I, I do like a rough draft of everything. If I go back to my computer that same day, mm-hmm. I'll actually just do like a two minute process on something that I think might have potential. Otherwise, I'd never remember what I shot. I'd never be able to keep track of what I have so far from a trip yeah so i kind of have like you know 50 candidates from a month-long trip that i've quickly processed and then i'll just look at them and start to realize over time okay i need to do it this way or this is going to need to be done you know i need a different exposure for that or i don't like that one anymore or this one's growing on me like if i have those rough drafts to look at i think that helps yeah i think of them as sketches i do the same thing the problem is the alex noriega rough draft and the aaron bobnick sketch becomes into nick page fine art (laughs) you know like (laughs) like, it's just the tolerance level in my photography has gotten kind of low and i know that Part of the problem is that I'm feeding the social media beast in a way like I'm excited to share what I did today or I'm excited about the conditions I got yesterday. And so I'm excited to post process that. But I think and we'll talk about this next. I think that you guys sit on an image for a way longer period of time to really fine tune it and to hone it in far longer than somebody like me would. So Alex, like when you're processing an image, how long do you sit on something? What is the post-processing timeline look like for you? Well, now I'm in kind of a groove, like I was saying, of going out for like a month and shooting and then coming back home for a month and letting everything marinate. So it's kind of, you know, before my next trip and I'm, I'm going out every couple months at least for a big trip so i would say that's the maximum amount of time that i'm allowing now for marination because i want i want to get done with my previous batch of work before i go create new work i don't Mm want to forget about it and forget about where my head was at with all those images i just want to be done with it so i can fully think about the next thing so when you find when you find that like image candidate that you're going to post-process Like how much time do you spend editing and then how much time do you allow after editing to make those fine tweaks that that we go back and make sometimes? I guess I'd say I do like the five minute rough draft process and then I kind of look at that for a month at least. And then when I'm really in the mood to sit down and, you know, do all the cloning and tedious things that are involved with making an image perfect, um, then I'll probably spend several hours if it's a complex image or maybe only half an hour, if it's pretty simple, but then I'll come back for the next few days. Like I still Mm -hmm. need fresh eyes after a new process of it. So at least the next day and maybe the day after that to really fine tune 
because you don't see that stuff if you get used to looking at an image in yeah. a certain state. Uh, you don't see flaws until you come back with fresh eyes. Overall, it's kind of a protracted process. Gotcha. What does that process look like for you, Aaron? Um, similar. I definitely have. I, I think of it as the incubator. They go in twice, um, once after shooting them, uh, and I might sit on them up to a couple of years. Um, sometimes, though, although at a certain point, it stops being relevant, uh, you know, to where having any relation to where I'm at. And so I let them go. But um, I did just put one out um, recently that was a two-year-old shot. But I had been thinking about it. I knew I was going to put that out. I really liked it. I just, it was one of those things that I knew when I was going to be ready that, that I would go there. <laughs> and I did it. But I would say usually my average is something like six to 12 months uh, between the time that I shot something and the time when I actually release it. And once I've got something processed, that's the shorter part of the period sometimes. Although I have a whole bunch right now that are processed and they're just, I'm just, kind of sitting on them. <laughs> but, um, but usually a week is good for me after I processed it. I can look at it for a little while and do some little tweaks and then I can call it done. And I love that Alex calls it marinating and you call it incubation <laughs> and we're either making steaks or babies. I'm not, I'm not well, sure. They what. are babies and they are to be consumed later. Yeah, they're delicious like the babies. There you go. <laughs> they're delicious steak babies. Um, I will say that there was one image, one of my most popular images of Mount Rainier, a volcanic mm -hmm. autumn. Like that one, I didn't think that that was even a good image when I shot it. And I thought that if I did process it, I would do like this super warm, colorful rendition. And it ended up being just totally different by the time it was released, which was over six months later. And it's because in that time, I was able to uh, realize that like there needed to be a contrast between the light on the mountain and the sky. So it just went with a super cool rendition, um, blue that is. And so... It's just so much different than what I initially thought it was, which I didn't think it was very good. And I thought it was going to go super warm. And then the final product was way different and it ended up being super successful in terms of like bringing business and all this stuff. So I think there is something to fresh eyes to the extreme sure. and you're waiting a long time because I just didn't see that stuff right away. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the tips that you would get from most really good post-processing photographers is the whole process of once you edit, walk away from it for an hour or two hours or a day, and then come back and look at it with fresh eyes. And that's probably going to be one of those tips that you'd get from a lot of photographers. And it's probably something that a lot of people listening don't do. And that can be one of the biggest differences. And I'm, I'm throwing myself in that, that category because I, I just don't do it because I get in such a rush to be like, ah, eh, it's good enough. <laughs> and yeah, occasionally, especially if you're really excited about an image, it can be hard to just sort of pull back and say, no, let's just, let's just hang out. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. let's chill, well, just chill. <laughs> I think that that really does mostly apply to processing, but also to the curation aspect, like realizing that an image maybe just isn't working at all compositionally. It might take time if you're excited about it to come to that realization. But there are guys like, again, looking at our wolf, like he just, he'll release those images like immediately when he's back from a trip, like a set of 30 or something. And they're all great because they're all compositionally sound. So I think if you're doing more processing or rather the more processing you're doing, the more you need to employ that process of 
letting it marinate because that's where you can take it too far or mess Mm -hmm. it up. Kind of leads me to the question of does this quality over quantity, does that does that also apply in the shooting process as well? Like, are you guys putting more painstaking thought into every single frame that you take as far as like composition? Are you really trying to hone stuff before you even click an image? That way you're going home with stronger shots. I would say it's more so about putting in the effort that you know you need to do in order to get it right. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if that means coming back at another time or if that means um, just sweating it out for a while longer, even though you're really hungry and tired (laughs) or whatever, then yeah, I I definitely think it applies in the field as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that it's, there are some images where you're just reacting to conditions or light where you don't have the luxury of time and it's just going to turn out the way it turns out. And if you got it right in that moment, then that's good. But there, yeah, there are certainly some instances where i've been too lazy to you know hike up the next hill or Mm -hmm. position the tripod in just the right way and then i realize like that's what i need to be doing if i want this to be good or Mm -hmm. as good as it could be the guy that sits there and like just really works it and like does every tiny little thing to increase the (laughs) the quality of the composition quality of the shot those are the ones that are really coming home with the great shots i'll do that especially with small scenes i like be hunched over something for three hours you know and then (laughs) my neck just hurts so bad from looking straight down for that long and then uh i realize it doesn't even work so (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then somebody walks up behind you holds a cell phone up bam nailed it (laughs) i think that's actually that's that's one way to it's not really exactly on topic but using a phone or something less tethered especially not you know getting on a tripod right away but just moving around yeah and trying different stuff like yeah you get tunnel vision right away and then just try to tweak it and it's really just not working you can waste a lot of time phone or something where you can just quickly frame up a different way yeah that's one of the things that i recommend to people is to not put the camera on the tripod too early and just put it in live view and kind of move the camera around and explore every single little angle and difference in heights and stuff before you ever take a photo that way you're being creative right off the bat rather than getting all technical and start thinking about yeah you know all your settings and dealing with the tripod it just slows you down and I, i think that even extends to which lens you have on like you might have the wrong focal range for what you ultimately want and then you'll be too lazy to try a different lens or think you know it's going to work with this one it's like if you have a phone or something where you can just pinch zoom and quickly like try a bunch of different framing uh, without any restrictions yeah i find that often i'm finding shots that way totally i just started carrying a little mirrorless camera for exactly that reason just to have that uh, light kit with me that I do not feel any obligation to use in any kind of serious way. (laughs) So it's somewhere between the phone and the big kit. And I find it really loosens me up. And that's really helpful just to think things through with that. Yeah. You know, phones don't have flip screens too. So it's kind of nice to have, you know, that little mirrorless body with a flip screen and a 16 millimeter or, you know, wide angle lens on it. As we're talking here and we're talking about how critical you guys are and how so very few of those many, many pictures that you guys take see the light of day i i can't help but feel sorry for all those other photos that you guys take right because i know that (laughs) i know that like b-roll for alex noriega is like better than my best day of photography do those do you ever find a use for those photos like is there somewhere that you know all those shots that didn't quite make the grade is there a place where those see the light of day there's a place where they fester (laughs) (laughs) there's there's my hard drive with 
all my b-roll stuff that i never finished just the rough drafts that i talked about these huge folders of hundreds of images and uh i may have dismissed something outright like long ago and then i'll show this folder to people that i trust friends with i think good taste and they'll be like why didn't you work this one this one's awesome i'm like I didn't like that at all, but I guess you're right. There's something there, maybe. So maybe they see the light of day eventually that way. But And I was thinking maybe someday I would release B-Sides Gallery, just do a bunch of them. Like, here's what I threw out, but nothing so far. They're just festering. How about you, Aaron? Do they make it inside like a book or a talk or something yeah, like that? Yeah, so mine, I, I use some of those in educational contexts mostly. So in the talks, for sure, a lot of them go in there because they're maybe illustrative of something that I'm talking about and they do a fine job of that. And I already processed it, so why not? They may not go live in my portfolio afterwards, but I'll take them that far. And sometimes I'll even put them out in an article. I have some articles that contain those too. We had a whole bunch of questions come in on the Facebook group for landscape photography podcast listeners. So if, if you're not a member of that, you can go check that out. Uh, one of the questions that came in, we'll throw this one to you, Alex. What's the one thing that took your image making to the next level over the many, many little things? Boil it down to one thing that made the biggest difference. And I, I love putting people on the spot like this. Well, I don't feel on the spot because I've thought about this and I think that it's it's not to say that I am next level or anything, but I think that my own images improved in my eyes when I decided to let go of needing to get an image every time I went out. And that mm. kind of entails leaving behind icons like I don't have an issue with shooting icons if other people want to do it, if that's what makes them happy. But for me. When I stopped feeling like I needed to get an image every time I went somewhere, then I stopped going for the sure composition in, say, an icon or, you know, pre-existing one I'd seen or just changing that up a little bit. And I started looking for something completely different. And I don't always find it. I think that there's a lower success rate that way. But you're also hitting higher highs when you find an yeah. image that's totally your own. If you're willing to go out and not get anything at all, then you're also willing to take more risks. And that's when you find the best stuff. Totally. So for me, I think just letting go of the need to get an image every time. Do you have anything different? Um, you know, for whatever reason, I never really had that motivation or that that sort of urgency to get a shot every time I went out. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't really know why, because I get that. I definitely put in a lot of effort and expense to get to some places. And I would feel really bummed when I didn't get something, but I also didn't feel that intense need to. <laughs> you know, it's hard to explain. But so I think mm -hmm. for me, um, what really ha has helped me to feel better about my own photographs is just, I think, sheer grit. I I'm just wanting it, really, really just wanting it and working at it and just in any way possible to improve. And, you know, and, and that's everything from all the things that you do in the field, you know, hiking that extra mile, doing all the extra stuff in the field, finding some way to afford that trip, finding finding a way to make it happen and just to just to go big and just ask myself, what is the fullest expression of this idea I'm going to have? And how do I do that? How can I get there? And then just working really hard at every aspect of it all the way through post-processing, having friends look at my photos for critique, you know, just really caring. Because a lot of people, they just don't have that. They don't really care. Good enough is good enough. And they're just trying to have fun. And mm -hmm. they don't actually uh, care that much about quality. But if you do, I think you, you really ultimately just have to be willing to kind of 
put your nose to the grindstone and get there. And sometimes it means taking a few extra photos for depth of field, focus stacking, All that. And mm-hmm. making sure you get the dynamic range and like, oh, I'm oh so crap. lazy about focus stacking. <laughs> <laughs> like, can I do this at F22? Anyone really know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anyone? Anyone? Here's another question that came in. Does your guys' editing for social media differ from editing for print? So before we jump into that, how much are you guys printing these days? Let's start with you, Alex. How much are you printing? Well, for the last few years, I've been trying to keep my possessions to a minimum. I just don't like having a lot of stuff. So I don't print for myself. There are images that I want to print for myself, but I also want to maybe be living in the place I know I'm going to be for a long time before I start collecting large, delicate things. Um, but for clients, you know, whenever an order comes in, I'll do the print. How much are you printing these days? Harry? Well, that's changed a lot recently. I, previously, um, I was like exactly like Alex. I uh, like to keep things light. I do not have a single one of my own photographs uh, hanging on a wall. <laughs> um, I just fulfill orders and that's that. But recently, um, I received a whole bunch of printing stuff from Canon. They gave me a big printer and a bunch of papers and just said, go see what you do with that. <laughs> and so I got really yeah. into it. Yeah. And you were suddenly inspired to print. Yeah. <laughs> you had the stuff to do it yourself. And it's actually yeah. really fun and I'm really getting into it. I just, you know, it's another place to just get into quality control, I guess. But, um, right. Since I'm already in that kind of mode, I can bring it all the way through like this and I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So printing has been kind of big in my world lately. Right. Okay. So processing for social media versus for print. Let's start with you, Alex. Does it start from the same master file and then you make some minor tweaks or how does it work for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I have one master file and that's whatever web JPEG comes out of that is what's going on all the social media and my website. Like I'm not making a different file for uh, different platforms unless it's some crop for Instagram, which you can just do on the phone. Right. Um, and then for printing, you know, we'll make the necessary adjustments from that master file, like brightening and resizing, sharpening any color adjustments. But I think the image is already 98% there, you know, whatever versions on social media. The one thing I'll say is that they're always way darker mm-hmm. on social media are on the computer because you're on a backlit screen as opposed to a print which doesn't light itself so the print version that file will always be brighter but it's the same content i would say yeah how about you Aaron? Yeah, alex answered that perfectly um i hadn't even thought about you know the difference between what i do to bring something to a print which is actually the reverse of your question i think or the reverse of that question you know do you do you think of it in the beginning you know as like you juice one up for social media <laughs> I think that's where that person was going with that question, um, which no, I don't. I I do crop them. But then, yeah, there is that final stage when you take them to print. They, and that for me is just making it look like what I had in mind with the, the original release online, just sort of translated right. into print. And I think the where this question stems from is there's another photographer that talks about how you need to totally start from stage one to make a photo for print. And that's interesting. I've never really heard another pro say that uh, because me personally, when I print it, always go, I start with that master file and then I do exactly what Alex says. I make the necessary adjustments to make that print appear how it does when somebody looks at it on their phone only, you know, on paper. Well, like, I was just oh, saying, if you are juicing your stuff for social media and you've done all kinds of crazy stuff to it, then maybe you do need to go back and remaster the whole thing. But um, I've never needed yeah, it to. Sounds like we're, <laughs> it sounds like we're using some illegal steroids on our social media photos. <laughs> juicing. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I think uh, 
I think what he was getting at probably is that you don't want anything baked into the file that's irreversible. You know, like if you started Mm -hmm. with bad sharpening or the wrong color space or did some warping that ruined your sharpness, anything that you can't reverse, then you would want to start over. But if you're thinking about that stuff from the start, then I don't think you need a separate file for print. You know, if you're just being really careful about the sharpening from the raw stage and all that stuff. I save all of my... um, From the start. My files all have everything in there and it's all non-destructive. The smart objects, everything. Yeah, every layer. I have like four gigabyte files. (laughs) But then you can go back and change Mm -hmm. anything. So another question that I have for you guys is what do you guys do to avoid burnout? Like I know Aaron and I, we've talked about this a lot, but Alex, I I don't know this about you. What do you do outside of photography to deal with burnout or just deal with those times when you're not really super excited about your photography at the moment? Well, I feel like I have that on a regular basis. And I think it's just something that any creative person deals with. Mm-hmm. But you kind of sound like you have it all the time, to be honest. <laughs> you yeah. just like live with it. Just, it's kind of an ebb and flow. And whenever I'm excited about photography, that makes me want to go take a big trip. And I start ha- getting ideas about, okay, I'm going to go to this place for a week. And if I'm not excited, then I'll just stay at home and I'm not motivated to go out. So I think I'm automatically already in the right frame of mind whenever I'm out shooting. And I'm probably missing out on some opportunities where I could be out all the time. But I think you have to be interested in what you're making. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I have to feel really passionate about what I'm shooting in order to make good images. I could go out and shoot things I'm not that interested in all the time and be creating images, but they wouldn't be something that I like. So, and, and sometimes I have a trip planned and then, you know, I just have to get in the zone once I'm out there, but it's not always like I show up and I'm immediately shooting an image that I like. It might take me a week to get in the group. Yeah. One of the things that I've kind of found along those same lines is that just starving myself from photography just a little bit will make me more excited about it the next time. Like if I'm kind of like wishy-washy about a, about a particular trip or whatever, I'll just not let myself go do it then I'll spend that week being like, man, I should have done that. Mm -hmm. And then the next time a trip comes along, I'm like, I'm raring to go. Like, oh man, I'm going to make the best photo ever (laughs) because I'm excited (laughs) about it. I might not make the best photo ever, but at least I'll be doing it with a smile on my face rather than complaining about the light the whole time. I I guess I take mini hiatuses. Is that hiatus? I don't know the plural for that. (laughs) Um, I will not photograph a thing for, you know, a month or two, and then I'll go out for a month after that. And I think that every time I come back, I have something's changed, like about what I'm interested in or what kind of images I want to make. And so I think it's just kind of an automatic tool for evolution. You know, you don't Mm -hmm. stay in the same mode. You take some time off and come back and something has changed, at least for me. And so I find that the work changes a little bit too. Aaron, you've been writing a whole lot more. That's probably served as kind of another creative outlet that keeps you primed for photography. Absolutely. And that includes writing the talks. That actually, the talks are actually performances of, of the articles. Almost every talk, I think, except one was originally an article. Uh, And that's a huge creative outlet for me to do that. And it's still photography and I'm still using my images and I'm, but I'm, I'm articulating ideas about them and what I think about photography and trying to find ways to be helpful to people. And it just, it really mixes things up a lot. And I find that I just never really get burned out because I'm, I just, I rotate through all of these, um, these sort of peripheral activities. And then when I get back around to the photography, I'm like, oh, cool. It's time for this again. Yeah. And YouTube is kind of the same thing for me. 
because creating a video is completely different than creating a photo. And sometimes I'll go on a trip and I think I mentioned this last week, I'll go on a trip and I might not have gotten any photos I'm very excited about, but I can still really have fun and enjoy the process of putting together the video of the trip. It sucks that those two things seldom line up because I'm either doing good photography or good video, but seldom am I doing both. (laughs) But at least I'm enjoying something at some point and it kind of helps keep me a little bit more fresh. So Alex, what, what things do you have coming up and where can people go to find out more about you and your photography? Um, they can go to my website, alexnoriega.com. What's coming up? It's kind of up in the air because of these wildfires in Colorado. I had some backpacking mm. plans there. It's just extremely dry and it may be smoked out. So that may be changing. But I had an adventure planned with friends down there. We might move it to the Northwest. Right. I thought people are always smoked out in Colorado. <laughs> oh snap coming from a washington guy (laughs) um so what do you got going on aaron and where can people go to find Uh, your stuff well uh it's workshop season here i'm in europe right now for a run of a whole bunch of workshops in a whole bunch of countries i'll be off to france next week and then italy and iceland and all sorts of places um life is tough <laughs> uh, but aaronbobnick.com and also photocascadia.com are two places where you can find all sorts of things that are going on with me. Just announced a run of uh, workshops in Death Valley in March. So I've got that going on right now. I also have uh, some articles that are coming out. I've got another one coming out on the Canon website soon and more talks. I'm, I'll be speaking at the Sedona Photography Symposium in um, August of next year of 2019. So, and that is not yet sold out, but the tickets are going fast. So I'd like people to know about that. That's one of these new conferences where there are not only presenters, but also educational indoor um, uh, sessions as well as outdoor excursions. So yeah, a lot going on. You are the single busiest <laughs> woman I've ever heard of. Man, you make me feel lazy. And I, yeah. and I don't oh, yeah. even know how. That's crazy. I do like one thing <laughs> at a time. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>